Our reading today comes from the book of Genesis. And that children's message that Jen offered is perfect. There's a lot of big feelings here. So listen to God's word to us. The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two maids, his 11 children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had, which was a lot. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and Jacob's thigh was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And the man said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then the man said, your name shall no more be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, tell me, I pray, your name. But he said, why do you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his thigh. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the sinew of the hip upon which is the the hollow of the thigh, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in that place. Here ends the reading for today. Thanks be to God. So it's not my first time here, but it's been a minute. My name is Elizabeth Gibbs-Zender, and I serve as the Presbyterian Staff Chaplain at LAC-USC Medical Center, which, like, if we drove right now, you could get there pretty quick, like a half an hour. But in normal life, it's very far from here. It's over in Boyle Heights. It's the safety net hospital for our county and a level one trauma center for Southern California. It's the place you go if you're in the county jail and you need a hospital. It's kind of big. There's 631 beds in the hospital itself and 150 beds in the emergency room. Because it's a safety net hospital, that means people who have no other options come there, whether because of the, the trauma of their accident or their, their lack of access to health care. So my friends, the whole human family goes there. And it's a wonderful place to minister because... Um, when do we get to see the whole human family on a regular basis? That position of chaplain is funded by Presbyterians like you. Four Presbyteries, Pacific, San Gabriel, San Fernando, and Los Ranchos, one synod, a synod of Southern California. I'll put their money in to make it happen. So on behalf of the patients and the staff and me, I want to say thank you. Presbyterians have been at this for over 60 years, and there's no other Protestant denomination who has had that kind of commitment. So way to go, Presbyterians. (laughs) We're small, but we're mighty. Um, Obviously, you know this. When there's something wrong with our bodies, that's when we go 
to the hospital. Or at least that's when we think about going to the hospital. We put it off. We see if it's going to pass. Um, and then, yeah, we end up going to the hospital. And the doctors and the nurses, we trust them that they're going to tend to our body and what's needed. But something that doesn't often get recognized is that while people are wrestling with the questions and the pain of what's happening in their body, they are very often wrestling with what it means, wrestling with the spiritual and emotional side of what is unfolding for them. Um, and that's where the chaplains come in, basically. It's, um, I work at a county hospital, so there's no um, religious underwriting of what happens there, but um, I promise you that place runs on the prayers that are lifted by the patients, by the families, by the staff. It's a place that is full of angels. But I want to be clear, it's not like the chubby, cute angels. <laughs> it's like the other scrappier kind of angels. I want to share with you two stories, um, two patients I met two weeks ago. Um, it was unusual. I, they were the same week. I met them on the same floor of the hospital. They're about the same age. I'm going to share the stories with you. I've changed identifying information, so they're, they're protected. Um, but you'll understand the heart of these stories. They both had been in these traumatic motorcycle accidents, and both greeted me with the same question when I walked in their room. Chaplain, why me? Now, the first guy had just come out of his fourth surgery. And the doctors were saying they were hopeful that he'd be able to walk again. It would take about a year of physical therapy. Um, and he's, I asked him, like, well, what, what's going on for you? He's like, well, let me tell you what happened. I was on my way to work, on my motorcycle, in my lane, going with the traffic, and this car swished into my lane right in front of me. I had three seconds to react. I was going too fast. I couldn't stop. I hit the car, and then I went flying. I never passed out. I remember everything. And when I close my eyes, that is all I can see. That is all the, what I can feel is that pain. I don't understand, chaplain, why me? I'm a faithful person. I love God. I give to other people. I help them out. Why is that lady who was driving that car not in this pain? Why am I in this bed? Is God punishing me? What have I done? Why me? So the second person I met the very next day, and he had also been through several surgeries to get his body intact, and he greets me with the same question, why me? It was uncanny how similar their stories began. I was on my way home from work. I was in my lane, going with the flow of traffic. This person cut, off, cut me off, changed into my lane without looking. I had seconds to respond. I couldn't stop, so I hit the car. I flew head over head. I didn't pass out. And that's all I can see when I close my eyes. I can see it happening again and again. Chaplain, why me? Three seconds earlier, and that car would have hit me. I would be dead right now. You should see the pictures that the police took of my bike. 
it's a wonder that I'm still alive. Why did God preserve my life? What have I done to deserve this blessing? Why me? Now, clearly, both these young people are wrestling with more than the sum of their, their multiple surgeries and their broken bones, more than the sum of their physical pain. As we all do, they are wrestling with the meaning of what had happened, the meaning of what it means for their connection with God. Now, sometimes in Christian circles, um, people ask, why me? And we might get shushed. You know, like that Sunday school, shh, you're not supposed to question God. You're supposed to have more faith. Just trust, just pray. But look, right there in the Bible, Jacob, one of our ancestors in the faith, is not only questioning God, but all out wrestling with God. We have some good examples here in the Bible of asking, why me? Now, for those of you who you probably know about Jacob, he's a character. Like, it depends who you ask, but he's a scoundrel, or, or he's really brilliant. <laughs> he's a really good entrepreneur, or he's a hustler. He was always one to wrestle and struggle. He was, he was a twin, and he and his brother wrestled in the womb. We are sorry for his mom for that. Um, and even so much is that, like, Jacob wanted to be born first, and so he, he couldn't get into the birth canal first, so he grabbed his brother's heel, and that's how he came into the world, literally wrestling. And it didn't stop. Like, it's just their whole life. And so Jacob really wanted to be number one. And so he, with his mom's help, which was probably a sermon for another day, um, tricked his dad into giving him the blessing of the firstborn, which is a super big deal and a pretty shabby thing for Jacob to do. Um, and not surprisingly, his brother Esau was really mad and threatened to kill him and meant it. And so Jacob runs away, like literally leaves the country with the shirt on his back, just trying to save his own life. He spent his whole life, life trying to be enough, trying to get ahead, trying to measure up, trying not to be discovered as the imposter that he was. I imagine that every time he closed his eyes, he had flashbacks to his encounter with his brother and the murderous threat. So today, that's all flashback material. Today, we find Jacob just about to meet his brother for the first time since he left the country. It's been years. And um, rumor has it that Esau's coming to meet him with 400 of his well-armed friends. Um, and Jacob knows it's going to go down. Like, this isn't going to go well. And so he's not sure that he's going to survive. He doesn't know if it's a blessing to be home or a curse. It's impossible to say. So he sends everything he has on the road ahead of him, kind of like a bribe. And he's got a lot of stuff, a lot of animals. It's all there. Then he sends everyone he loves ahead of him on the road. Again, kind of weird there, but okay, just trying to appease his brother. 
and the sun sets and he lays down to goes to sleep on the other side of the stream waiting for what's going to happen the next day and it's weird I'm not going to lie. It's just weird. Like this guy comes up and starts wrestling him. And we don't really know who this figure is. Scholars have all kinds of ideas, but Jacob says this is God. So we're going to go with Jacob's story. Um, and I would say, like, usually people who are hustlers are the best at knowing the real deal when they find it. I suspect that Jacob recognized the integrity and the divinity in his wrestling partner. And so interesting, he doesn't turn tail. He stays engaged. He doesn't let go, even when he gets that terrible wound to his leg. Now, my favorite part in this whole story is that God doesn't let go of him either. God takes it. And just imagine it, like the stars are moving across the sky and these two guys are just wrestling in the, sand, in the stream bed, like they're sweaty and they're sandy and they're trying to get the upper hand, neither one's letting go. And the dawn starts to come and Jacob knows, like, uh, this is it. Give me the blessing. And God says, give me your name. And so Jacob responds, I, I'm Jacob, giving his name a confession of sorts to God. Essentially confessing to God, yeah, I deceived my dad, I deceived so many people, I'm the guy you've been looking for. I'm Jacob. And right there, God gives him the most extraordinary of blessings, not only liberation from everything that had been before, but a new name. Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with people and have prevailed. Israel, a guy who is celebrated for his tenacity, for his ability to hang in there and not let go no matter what the cost, what the pain. So long, so much of his life had been about his shortcomings, and he was defined that way, but now he is being defined by his strength. And so just so we're clear here, this isn't just like a theological, spiritual exercise. It's just, he doesn't get just like a new name tag, like, hello, my name is Israel. He is going to meet his brother and his brother's army, the weakest he's ever been, right? He's limping. He's alone, unarmed. The only thing he has is God's blessing. But there's a sense in which that wrestling match wrestled him to the truth of who he had always been, to the truth of who God had meant him to be. And it's by walking with a limp, but walking in that truth, that he's able to meet and reconcile with his brother. And so it is with these patients that I shared with you. As they were struggling with their physical therapy and the physical pain, they were also wrestling with this question, why me? Am I a blessing? Am I a curse? And I noticed that God wouldn't let go of either of them as well. God welcomed their authenticity to push through what had happened to push through that trauma and the striving and the struggling to wrestle for the blessing. 
And friends, this is what it is like for us as well to try and find our new normal, to try and find what faithful living looks like now, now that we're alone, to try and not be discovered as the imposters that we fear that we are. Now, we don't do a lot of wrestling here in the sanctuary. Well, except for the children's message. I really didn't see that coming. (laughs) But we show up on Sunday morning and maybe we are limping a little bit from what's happened the night before. As people of deep faith, we wrestle on the regular with God. We ask, why is this happening to me? Are are you punishing me, God? What have I done to deserve this? Why me? The answers, they don't come very easily. And all we can do for our siblings in Christ is offer them a safe space for the wrestling that they need to do. We can say things like, oh, tell me more about that to our friend who finds that the weekends without the kids when they're with their dad are just too empty and long. We might say, oh, that must be so difficult when we meet our recently widowed friend in the grocery store. I wonder what it's like for you to our friend who's suffering with long COVID. Why me? They might, they might ask us. And it's tempting to offer those sweet Christian answers of like, oh, you should pray harder. <laughs> Why me? And then there's that silence. And it's so tempting to change the subject, to jump in, to fill it. But really, Jacob's inst- example instructs us that it's better when we can encourage our friends to full-on wrestle, to full-on hang on to God with all their might. It's better if we can accompany them as they persist until the blessing comes. Heaven knows when the next wrestling match will be ours, and we will need someone else to remind us of who God is calling us to be. Remember, God is the one who refuses to let us go. God is the one who responded to Jacob and to us with a blessing. And God is the one who wrestles us to the truth of who we are, worthy and valued and blessed. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.